But yeah, I formed Modern Husbands because I went online and I, I Googled something like how to be a great husband. And it was just a bunch of websites on how to cheat on your wife. It was really disappointing. Like, like oh, oh my no. God, these guys, like, oh, that's-, that's so far from what I'm thinking. And so I thought, well, there's like no community out there for when I say modern husband, it could be just essentially somebody that looks at their partner as an equal, as a teammate, and trying to figure out collectively how you can work together to support each other's goals and ambitions. And you take turns. Sometimes one career goes ahead of the other. And how can we go about this? Because it's not as easy as I thought it would be. So now we have Modern Husbands, where we focus on managing money in the home as teammates. Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out-of-money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I have the distinct honor of welcoming Brian Page to the show. Brian has started and is building Modern Husbands, a great resource and outlet for couples, not just modern husbands, but for couples that are looking to engage in the modern marriage. And what does that mean? How do we do it? Why are we doing it this way? So just so many questions. That's why I want to go ahead and bring him on the show. Brian loves to aggregate data, pull data from disparate places, bring them in together and create a unified story out of it. And so that's why I'm so excited to have him here. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Ed, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Would you be willing to share with the listeners a little bit about your background and how you've gotten to the place where this is what you're doing now? Yeah, and I think that would probably explain really the origin of Modern Husbands as well. I've been married 21 years and three great kids. And when we got married, we were really young. We had one of our children young. So we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And I was from this small rural town and just kind of like the societal norms there. And just kind of what I knew was my job as a husband and as a father was to provide and protect. So I bought a duplex, lived in one side, rented the other out, still own it. But we did that to like save, obviously, a bunch of cash so we could move to a neighborhood with a great school district. And then with that, now I've got a job and doing well in that job. And so now I've got more hours to work. And then I have a second job and that job kind of blew up to become something massive. So fast forward, like 15 years and I was a Milka National Teacher of the Year. I was on Obama's uh, Advisory Council for Financial Capability, the Working Committee, the Working Group. And then I had also done a lot of consulting and run a giant soccer club that was very small when I first took over. And like I'll, viv- I'll never forget sprinting down the hall as I was a classroom teacher, just throwing up blood from a bleeding ulcer. And what happened was that we just blindly decided that it was better for the family, for my wife to stay home with the kids and for me just to work. And one thing led to another. And I went from being just a normal guy working 40, 50 hours a week to being like 38, 
with a bleeding ulcer, working 80 hours a week. And it just, it was unhealthy. And I'm lucky that my wife is, was way smarter than me. She's ambitious and she went back to work and she really wants to advance in her career. She wanted to then, she wants to now. And I was driving to work one day and I was listening to The Hidden Brain. It's one of my favorite podcasts. And there was a researcher on there talking about you know, some of the barriers that women face to try to advance in their careers. And what the research found was that male and female managers, they were equally guilty of subconsciously believing that when a man is a husband, a father is given the opportunity for a promotion, which inevitably leads to more hours and potentially travel time away from the family, they think, okay, this is good for him because he can be a better provider. And when they look at a woman, they think, oh, I would be taking her away from her family. And again, both male and female managers subconsciously where they were reporting this in the, in the data, like, oh, I, yeah, I, I guess that was the wrong thing to do. So I told my wife, I'm like, hey, just tell your boss, you got it. Like, I've got it at home. I'm going to take the lead. I'll do everything at home. And I was a school teacher at the time. And you can do whatever. And two weeks later, she got a promotion. She got a global role. So that ended up kind of evolving into the big decision. Do, do I leave teaching or not? And I loved teaching. I was good at it. I, it was obviously an extremely stressful job, but rewarding. And I knew that if I were to support her, I had to leave teaching because we needed to move uh, for her career. So I did. I worked for a wonderful organization called NextGen, which evolved into kind of a government relations role. And essentially, we're, we came to a point where because of just circumstances at home, we, we needed flexibility and time from one of us a lot more than we needed money. That money wasn't really the issue. So I founded Modern Husbands more because just out of accident, but really I just stayed home and I do basically everything at home now. I am a visiting scholar with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, but that's a, like a one-year part-time job. But yeah, I formed Modern Husbands because I went online and I, I Googled something like how to be a great husband. And it was just a bunch of websites on how to cheat on your wife. It was really disappointing. Like, like oh, oh my no. God, these guys, like, oh, that's-, that's so far from what I'm thinking. And so I thought, well, there's like no community out there for, when I say modern husband, it could be just essentially somebody that looks at their partner and as an equal, as a teammate. and trying to figure out collectively how you can work together to support each other's goals and ambitions. And you take turns. Sometimes one career goes ahead of the other. And how can we go about this? Because it's not as easy as I thought it would be. So now we have Modern Husbands where we focus on managing money in the home as teammates. Oh my goodness. Wow. So it's we've been getting to know each other, I guess, what, over the last year, year and a half or so with your work on Modern Husbands. And you invited me to be on the board there and, and I'm honored by that. And I just continue to be humbled by the incredible stories that people that I meet have. And you ended up on this rocket ship of success and then with a bleeding ulcer, which was a big warning sign. And I think about how often like that medical issue becomes the moment of awakening that something else has to shift and change. Right. And it, yeah. And then you know, you've got your wife who's increased in her career success more and more. And now you're in this role where it's like, 
yeah, I'm home. I take care of the house. I do all the things there. And I've got this flexibility to flexibility air quotes to work on modern husbands and grow that. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't, it's like, I have like 23 different ways I want to go with this conversation. So <laughs> look, I find a lot of resonance with that in trying to figure out how to do this marital dance. Well, especially with respect and with my wife in mind, right? It's not just about me. It's and that's what I love about you is it's not just about you. You realize like, it's about my wife too. It's about how I show up with her, what's happening there, and how we do that. So, I mean, these are big questions. I think as questions as as many of the listeners are probably also grappling with similar dynamics of female head of household, upward career mobility. Both partners very talented and capable. What do we do with ourselves? How do we manage that? It feels like oftentimes I don't know if you see it this way, Brian, but more questions than answers. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It it's full of of complex feelings. I, I was talking to somebody else about what it's like to take for your career to take a backseat. And I, boy, I would love to say like, I'm this super guy where it's like, Oh no, no worries at all. But I, <laughs> frankly, I'd accomplished a few things in my career that were like really bucket list items for me Yeah, where I, yeah. once I accomplished, there was one specific thing I accomplished. It was like, you know what? I'm good. I feel like that I've through my career, done great for the world, and I'm good. And so it made it easier for me to be in the role I'm in now. I don't know if I could do that now. I think there would be something inside of me that would would have I would have a thirst for more. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm selling myself short. But the biggest challenge, I think, is that when we spend our lives driven towards certain successes, and now all of a sudden it's like, put the brakes on, right? You've got to now pivot and recognize that the way that you are going to be a successful husband and father is not going to be how you envisioned it when you were 16 years old or 24 years old, because the dynamics of the world have changed, right? 45% of households in America now have either women that are earning around the same or more than their husbands. And with that, all kinds of like complex challenges. Like now, when you it's not just one person who's advancing in their career, meaning there could be the opportunity or the need to move, just as an example. Right. Now there's two. And that that brings apart like these ongoing conversations about yeah. how do you support each other's ambitions. And then this isn't the 1960s, right? So we most of us grew up in a household where what was modeled was was really a man working and a woman who was the lead caregiver, right? Or right. the lead, just they let everything at home. That wasn't necessarily the case in my house. Now, provide, protect was beaten into me. Like that's what you do as a, as a husband. Okay. But because of our circumstances with my parents, they both contributed. But if you think about the way the world looked in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, like when our parents yeah. were growing up, one man was working right. and she was staying home. Yeah. And that's like the expectation. That's like the symbol of success. And the way like the ecosystem of managing homes and having neighborhoods and structures that kind of yeah. pop up, like supporting parents, et cetera, like they all weave together from that. Well, now that's being untangled because both men and women are working, they're making good money. But what that requires is a mindset shift, like internally right. as a home. 
How can you manage things in a way where women aren't getting dumped on? Because right now women still take on a disproportionate amount of the labor at home. And there's still a lot of challenges that a company not understanding how to manage money as a couple. Yeah. The balance of role responsibility in the house is a big one. It's one that I think about often and, and I'm aware. And I, honestly, you know, I get stuck on how to continually rebalance those, my own internal expectations, my wife's internalized expectations of what she's we're supposed to do in all the things. And I, yeah, there's a number of even, evenings where she's cranking away on something for the kids in school or birthday party or something else. And I'm just like, okay, how do I step up into that? When do I step into that? How do we continually work on that balance as she's working full time also? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the money piece and what does that represent to each of us? And we were talking the other night and she just talking about, wow, we're midlife. We're both in our mid forties. She was thinking, she's thinking, man, I still have like 18 more years of working ahead of me. And I was kind of interested by that. I was like, oh, it's interesting to hear you say that. But right, like even that concept of how much longer do you have to work and what does that mean is all part of this marriage money dance. And so what are you seeing for couples that are successfully navigating this marriage money gender role dance? Well, the, I think the first married couple that really opened my eyes to how to get it done was Dan and Kim Cadlick, who's also on the Modern Husbands Advisory Board with you. And their story, so much of it reminded me of kind of like how Hope and I are, where he was really successful. He was a financial journalist with USA Today and then Time. And he was an author. He was on Oprah, sharing his wisdom of how to teach kids about man- their, your own kids about how to manage money. Right. And his wife's career was just soaring. And he decided, okay, well, they needed to make a decision because they couldn't both continue to work the hours they were working because they had three kids. So he decided, well, I'll just stay home. And, and uh, he continued to work, but he was the flexible one. And she's like a senior vice president of, she's in charge of marketing for Visa. And, and it was awesome when, he, when we started discussing these kinds of things, like yeah. he takes on the primary, he took on the primary caregiving. He made lunches for the kids before they went to school. And it was kind of how I looked at it, where it was like, this is great. I get to hang out with my kids more often. Like, this is cool. This is practical. She has right now greater earning power. And when you look at marriage as a collective, why would you not just support that and provide the support she needs, which is more help at home and things that frankly are enjoyable anyway. And and so he was telling me this and in my own, in my own head, it was like, yeah, it feels kind of nice to like, actually, I love to cook, to oh, like prepare yeah. a great meal, start to finish grocery shop, you name it. Like I own anything in the kitchen, but when people are eating it, they're like, this is good. Like I smoked my meat for 24 hours and people, I love this. Yeah. And I, as, as I was going through this, I then learned after that, that the research strongly supports the fact that when men share and equal, a disproportionate equals the wrong word, a fair and proportionate, fair and proportionate amount of the household chores that the marriage is happier. It's a better marriage. But this was what struck me. Husbands got the biggest uptick. Husbands gained the most happiness. And it, it could be because of appreciation from their wives, whatever it may be. But I saw that research and I thought, oh my goodness, like when you have all these marriages that just aren't there yet. I want to help them understand there's a new way to look at managing the home that's going to make everybody happier. And obviously managing money 
kind of runs hand in hand with that, right? Yeah. I mean, there's layers to managing money, right? There's the planning and organizing of the household finances. There's the actual spending. So when you go out to Target or order on Amazon or whatever, wherever you spend your money, right? There's the actual spending the money. Then there's the reviewing of it. There's also the planning and forecasting for the future. And yeah, I was just reminded of some stats. My wife actually sent me something from usafacts.org about the underaccumulation of retirement funds mm. across all demographics. This is, you know, yeah, that that's a great interactive, right? Like, oh, have you played with it too? The USA Facts, like, oh yeah, it's a great interactive. Yeah, well, it's it's sombering, it's sombering, it's <laughs> you know, scare. What is it? Nine? Yeah, let's say the technology is amazing. What it the statistic reveal is. Sobering and somber for sure. Yes. 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 Because what is it? What were you going to say? Like 90%. I got to pull it up. It just oh, it was 100%. like essentially if you're in your mid 40s and your household income is in the six digits, you should really have between the two of you around a half a million put away for retirement. That's what the math adds up to be if you would have started at the right age. And it's only 5% of the American households who have that. That's it. Yeah, it's tiny. So it says households with more than zero saved for retirement by age. And it has this little distribution. So I'm going to click right now. We're doing this live, folks. This is live. I'm going to click on 100K. And all of a sudden for households, let's see here, our demographic, 46 to 50 years old, percent. Oh, no, do do the age bracket before that. Okay. That's what we are. All right. Oh, I made it. Well, so 41 to 45. 27% 27% yeah. have 100K saved for retirement by this age. That's that from, household. from a retirement planning perspective, that is underfunded, big time. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. So this is a a big deal. And especially when you get, you have professional couples that are making well over six figures, many of them into two, three, $400,000 a year, which I don't know about your starting point in life, but for me, that's a way bigger number, right? This is right now I'm speaking to the professionally educated professional group. Wow. I thought just making a really good income was going to be enough. And there's a lot of people that live under that story. And yet and we hear in the news all the time that retirement saving is important. Retirement saving is important. Retirement saving is important. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. But the behavior and the actual savings rate do not reflect that. And there's, a, right. there's a big opportunity here for the families that are in that six-figure category to start making the shift in their 40s. You, time is not lost. So please, as you hear Brian and I talking about this, there's a different set of needs for families, 100,000 and less on retirement savings and what's going on there. So I don't want to, I want to parse into that, but really I'm talking to the professionally educated class. I mean, this is, as I've talked to financial planners, one of my, my closest friends is a planner for dentists. And so he looks at dentists and their accumulation rates for retirement. 
And he said basically what these statistics said on the other side, about 75% of them are underfunded for retirement. Mm. So we have, it's not an income problem. And I know a lot of people jump on the bandwagon and say, well, it's a spending problem, but I think it goes deeper than that. I think it goes deeper into like, who are we as a couple? How do we work together collaboratively? At least in my work with so many couples is they're at such odds with each other. They have a hard time even imagining a future life together. So if you can't imagine a future life together, why would you be saving money together? So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that kind of went on a diatribe here. So. Well, you know, the, the core problem is for, for some folks is that they're just trying to make it through now and, and that there could be a marital conflict that is impeding their long-term judgment, like how they see themselves in the future. But let's, let's make the assumption that the marriage is fine and, and they, they plan on retiring together and, and you know, living financial freedom at its best. We got lucky where opposites attract yeah. oftentimes, right? That's yeah. what the data says. And I had Dr. Strebon for Duke, who uh, spe- specializes in cross-class marriages, also on our advisory board. And she found like the same thing, but it was within like the history of where they came from, like with a blue collar, white collar families, whatever. And what she found was that there were a lot of opposites who attracted in their spending behavior. And she attributes a lot of that to their, really their income background and when they were growing up. And so like with my wife and I, I'm the saver. And in large part, it's because of like how in, insanely frugal my father is. And it's, it's really, he should have his own television show. It's like one of those things where, where my wife is, is normal, right? My wife is not a free spender. She's reasonably frugal too. Yeah. But when the moments in time that matter the most are when you get windfalls and when you get pay raises. Yeah. And those are the times where I've always chosen to make sure that I automate my saving for the future. So if there's a bump in pay, I would save that bump. If there was a windfall, I would save that windfall. And that would lead to early in our marriage, it was a little bit of a discussion, mid-marriage, it was an argument. And then now it's really just, we trust each other, we talk about it. And because we have shared values and shared goals, I mean, it's really a five-minute conversation. And if, if couples can learn that when they get pay raises, just to save the raise, to save the raise yeah. just for three or four years and just try to live at the same income level, right? right for that you were living in, because you, you yeah. should have been okay if, if you were financially healthy. But boy, when you do that early in your marriage, that compounds quickly. And same thing with windfalls, right? So that's the success that we've had. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just so excited because you shared something and I'm not sure if you intended to share this, but I'm very interested in it is you said it would, when you were proposing this with your wife early in the marriage, it was a little bit of a discussion. And then you said in the middle, later in the marriage, it became an argument. And then now it's like, you guys are in a really good place and it happens. So what happened in that art? Cause I think it, I love the, the, we were kind of working through it and then it was argumentative for a while. So what happened? What were you guys working through? I think early on, she had what she envisioned to be really nice. Like we build a house. Right. And we lived in a great neighborhood and great schools because we spent three years like tucking away a ton of cash because we lived in a duplex, rented the other out, had no real debt. Right. And so she, she benefited from that. And then we, because of the public school circumstance where we were, we had to go to a private school. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we're exposed to the norm are people that, are 
routinely make seven digits a year. So now our friend group... Wait, seven digits a year? Oh, easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. And yeah. it's a different... Like going to a party where there's... What's, you know, people walking around with plates with hors d'oeuvres. Right. Like that was the routine. Right. And I'm like from this rural town and it was great for me because, you know, the guys show up with the guys and it's like, all right, where's the tequila lose? You know, let's, let's loosen it up here. <laughs> but she's the normal one where it's like, there's this idea that you got to keep up with the Joneses. And Dr. Klontz brings this up in Money Mammoth, right? That was kind of a survival mechanism early on in our evolution. And so like, she's feeling that, right? That's a normal thing. And she wants a lot of those things. And frankly, we were doing, we were, we were doing well enough to, to have more. When yeah. I say, go quote, have more, nicer car, right? Maybe a nicer house. So she wanted those things. And that's where there were problems because to do those things, we would have to have less in savings. It would be a lot tighter from month to month. It would also run against the grain of our values, which is, financial security, family, and experiences over possessions, like the experience of a great education, the experience of a great vacation, et cetera. And so it was really just the fact that our surroundings, our circumstances changed. And I feel like a lot of couples that when they're in their upper thirties start to go through that when their friend groups are making more money and it naturally, most people make more and they spend more, they make more and they spend more. So now all of a sudden, if you're taking the advice that I initially gave of saving your pay increases, right. they now live in the nicer houses, the nicer cars. Nicer schools, better vacations. You got it. Could be, yes. Yeah. So that, that was really, that was really the, the challenge. That's really what changed. And, and frankly, even though there was very little dispute early in our marriage, I handled that terribly because I've committed financial infidelity. What I did was, I, there's something called a 457B, which is, uh-huh. It's only nonprofit employees got this. And essentially you can access the money that you save and what is basically a 401k, but you can access it penalty free if there's a separation of service. So it's like this yeah. incredible tax savings opportunity. So anyway, I would get a pay raise. Well, I committed financial infidelity. I didn't tell her I got a pay raise. I just simply saved the difference in our 457B. And I kept doing that. So like going into year four, she's like, what is going on? I thought like you're making more with your one job, but teaching, don't you start to make more money? And eventually, you know, I had to confess. Yeah. So that was the wrong approach. That was the wrong approach. So if I were to do it again, I would have had the conversation, but I didn't know how to have that conversation. Nobody teaches you in school how to talk to your wife about, or your partner about spouse managing money together, right? That's a whole different ball game than just managing money as a person. Well, I'm really curious, what do you think was behind that behavior and that fear of addressing that? Oh, for me, I'm, uh, money avoidance. So like, just to kind of paint a picture, we were in a tornado when I was a little kid, like, I mean, house is gone kind of thing, you know? So my dad rummaged like the, like one of the couches as an example. So that was our living room couch. And under the pillows was a two by four because the springs were gone. Like that was where that was our living room furniture. And I just thought that's normal. Our one of our cars I saw take third in the Clinton County Demolition Derby. It was literally recruited to put no, it, it that one won the Clinton County Demolition Derby. It was recruited to be in the Demolition Derby. So he grew up, my dad grew up really, really poor. And he was super frugal yeah. as a result of that. Right. But we also all of our needs were always met. 
We had great vacations. We never stayed in a hotel in my childhood ever, but we went to Europe. We cycled through Europe. We stayed in campgrounds, but we bicycled through Europe. So we had great, great experiences. We always, we never had to worry about money. Even though my mom became disabled from the tornado, never had to worry about it. He was always a saver, you know, bought his house with cash. So you have these like very, like for me, ingrained money systems where it's like money only should go to the things that you love the most. Like I truly do not care about stuff. I do not look at somebody driving a nice car and, and think of them in a more valuable way. Okay. I could care less because of the, that extreme. Right. And my wife came from you know, an everyday household where it's, more, it's normal right, to want yeah. nicer stuff and live in a nicer house. Yeah, right. And that's tough. And I knew in the back of my mind, like, this conversation is not going to go well. It's not going to go the way that I think is in the best interest of our family. And so as a result, again, just my inclination is always financial security. We need to save in case something bad happens. So I just did it. It was wrong. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. And it, I think these are those hard growing perspectives, right? And looked at through a kind of from, from my perspective, a developmental lens is we all grow up in some place that gives us some frame of reference for how things ought to be, right? And part of growing up and maturing is, is being able to look back and, and reflect and question our norms and recognize our norms are different relative to others. And then we really, like, that's theoretical. But what you just shared is very real, is, oh, wait, now I'm actually living with this person. And I'm just even aware that, like, if I bring home more money, more money is going to be spent. So this is how I'm hearing, right? Is So I know yeah. what I'll do is I'll just go ahead and plug it in the 457. She won't see it. It won't be spent. Problem solved. Exactly. Until she finally catches on. And she's like, wait a second here, buddy. You should be getting <laughs> some raises. and A little more money should be coming into the house and it ain't happening. What's going on here? Well, you know, and this is one of the, it's kind of the, this twisted irony because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening like, oh yeah, poor Brian. He was saving money into his 457. Oh, boo hoo. You know, critical listeners, I love you, but like, please let's, let's hear the deeper spirit of this is, yeah, you didn't go spend it at a strip club or on drugs or on some fancy car. Right. Which is what I think right. people imagine. But this is actually considered in many groups a good, healthy behavior, but it was still done in secret. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it's not. That's important. I'm glad you pointed that out. It is not a healthy behavior to do that behind your, your spouse's back. Right. So even doing good things can be unproductive or unhealthy when it's done in secrecy or out of fear. And that's, but I, and I also want to just name and acknowledge it's like, but I also mm. didn't know how to have that conversation. I didn't know how to express my fears. She likely doesn't know how to show up and tend to your fears around money. And vice versa, this, and I'm generalizing and inferring because that's true for most no, of us. Right. We don't really know how to deal with each other's places of financial fear, financial anxiety, financial shame. Like, how do you do that? No one's ever talked about that. How do you tell your spouse, I feel really embarrassed about this period of time in my life. I feel really ashamed of what happened here. I'm still so angry about mom or dad doing or not doing this thing. Like, and our partners are not our therapists, which makes it even harder because so there's a lot there. Yeah. And it's like when, when you, it's even harder when you get windfalls, you can't hide windfalls, but it's also like, I mean, for those of you who have read scarcity, when you have that kind of slack, meaning now you, you don't feel like you have to pinch every penny because you have this instant abundance of money. 
people been that like irrationally. And that happened to me when I had won like, a chunk of money. And, and in my own mind, I had already committed financial infidelity. And I knew like, I can't do that, man. That's not right. Even though I didn't know what that meant. Right. Um, I just knew it was wrong. And so this time I thought, okay, well, let's, let's have a conversation about it. So yeah. I showed through a financial calculator, if we invest this in a 457B, here's our, or, sorry, the uh, 529K, 529K, our kid's college fund here's what it's going to compound to be. Right. And which is, you know, a significant chunk of, of their call of his, this first child's college. And she's like, no, 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 we need to go to Disney world. And she wanted to spend like, like a, I don't know, five or $10,000 on a Disney world trip. Yeah. And of that money. And I'm like, I'm like, no, that's not like, we don't, if we had a larger abundance of money, maybe, but we, there's a trade-off. Like if we right. can't do both and, Again, here's uh, it's another story that I'm going to share of how bad I was. And, and this is, I think, one of the great things about Modern Husbands is now that I've read a wealth of research and I've got awesome people like you on our advisory board that are sh- constantly yeah. sharing, I'm sharing what to do. And I have all the stories of what not to do as well. Yeah. But, but so my thought, my logic was, well, let's go through, so I was an economics and finance teacher. Let's go through opportunity cost of this. All right. So so what we can do, babe, is if you want to do this, I can't win the argument, but you have to be the one to tell our son before he goes to college that he has to pay for it because you wanted to take him to Disney World when he was three. And so now he doesn't have any money for college. Now, in my own mind, that sounded good. And I thought that that would play out differently. Than how it played out, and it, and as I was saying the words, I was thinking, "Oh, this sounds pretty nasty. I don't. This is not going to go well." So I slept on the couch. However, the money oh. did go into the five twenty nine k. Wow! Oh, I appreciate you just opening. Now, Ed, we have money cards on our website of these like these conversation prompts, so yeah. you don't do the stupid things that the two things that I just highlighted. Can you share with our listeners how I better could have handled that conversation to get us to where we wanted to get, knowing we both agreed we we're going to pay for our kids' college, knowing that? Yeah, right. How could I have handled that conversation better? Yeah, I think that's that's the learning lesson. That's the teacher in you coming out, right? It's like, okay, how do we okay, yeah, make this yeah. story? But the starting point that I often think about is really trying to step into what's behind that request for your spouse, your wife in this case, right? What does Disney represent to her? Right. Yeah. So she, and that was when she went to, she went to Disney when she was know, middle school. I don't know yeah. was when she was yeah. younger. And that was a fond memory. Cause again, her, their parents spent money differently than mine. So uh-huh. we, my dad would look at Disney and say, that's a tourist trap. Mm. You know, we can stay Uh-oh. in a campground. Right. Yeah. Right? yeah. We can yeah. stay in a campground and we can cycle across America or across Europe. We don't want to go to that tourist trap and spend $10,000. He literally called Gatlinburg, Disney, those things. So yeah. I always looked at that and thought, oh, that's going to siphon off money that right. could be used to make my family safer and happier. And she looked at Disney as it, like the origin of happiness in her childhood. Yeah. And that's, I think that's right where it takes a big leap of maturity and growth for for both partners, right? Because it's also your wife's responsibility to be able to step into empathically your background and your story that's driving you to make these decisions, right? Because empathy is what opens us to greater self-reflection and relational security. 
But I also want to just name that you are not alone in, in that approach of using the rationalization and right that like good intention, giving you good intention, like you weren't trying to be mean or hurtful towards your wife. You're just trying to, here's the real trade-offs. And this is, this is where I set the trap a lot of times for myself too, is especially as I got my MBA and CFP and I became more financially emboldened. I would look at my wife. One of the places that I pressured her a lot was about starting her dental practice. Because to me, it was mm. a very practical decision. I'd read the Journal of Dental Economics enough times. I could see the revenue projections. I could see the business valuation. I could see all those things. And I was like, why won't you go buy and start your own practice? Stop working for somebody else. Like, it just made no sense to me. But there were other psychological factors at play for her that I could not consider. And this is where financial planning misses so often, is it's teaching us to make decisions yeah. solely based on what the numbers say. But there's so much more going on psychologically. And that's why I'm so grateful for your work with modern husbands and willing to bring voice to that. And really my work, right, is look, financial planning is good. But when we only use financial modeling as the measure of financial decision-making, we're going to hurt ourselves or we're going to hurt somebody else. We've got to understand the whole human as we go through this. So that's right. As we wrap up this conversation, I mean, we could go, we're just, I feel like we're just getting warmed up. But as we wrap up for today, is there a parting piece of advice, guidance, wisdom that you'd like to offer folks? And then where can people find out more about the work that you're doing with Modern Husbands? Uh, well, I'll start with that. So modernhusbands.com. And we have a plethora of, of resources there. They're, they're all you know, cited by academics. I don't feel comfortable really having like a dogmatic approach or my own approach. I feel like mm. the best approach is the approach that's right for you. And so I just share evidence-based strategies there to manage money and the home. Because there's there's strategies there that are research based as well, and then we have our own podcast, the Modern Husbands Podcast, and Ed, you were a past guest, and that was a big hit. Um, and you can find that at modernhusbands.com as well, and then you can subscribe to our newsletter. But as far as like kind of parting advice, I'm going to steal Dr. Mangino's advice, who's internationally recognized as a gender expert. She's, again, she's on our board, and when she said this, I thought to myself, "Oh my God, how simply brilliant!" Like my whole marriage would have been so much better if I just would have done this one thing. And that is to sit down right when you get married and ask your partner, what do you envision when I say I want to be a great husband? What does that mean to you? So ask your wife or your, your husband, whoever your partner may be, what is your vision of a great partner? And then you ask the same from them. I never asked that question. And so right away, you ask that question. Now you have a complete understanding of how you can support your partner. And it makes it a lot easier to kind of tackle some of the tougher conversations that constantly right. feel like, at least they feel like they're yeah. constantly coming at you in marriage, particularly when you have yeah. kids. But at least you know the direction you should be going and behaving. I love that. I think it it is beautiful. And it highlights the fact of you're stepping out of your own internal view of what it means to be a great husband, right? Like in this case, right? Like I have my own internal image of what it means to be a great husband and be loving, but that may not align with what my wife thinks is a great and loving husband. And so taking that, that one it. very simple, but very powerful question and giving them space not to correct them, change it, but just to try to understand, maybe ask some more questions. Can you tell me more? Can you elaborate? Can you Give me some examples so that I can really connect to what it is. But that seems like that would be a great question to continually revisit as, as each partner grows and matures and maybe even better understands what it is that they want out of the relationship. So 
Brian, thank you so much for your energy, your excitement, and your vulnerability. Uh, just a f- your stories, I think so many of our listeners are going to resonate with. And just so grateful for the work you're doing. Thanks for having me on, Ed. And thanks for all you do for Modern Husbands. Yeah. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.